This is Object to This, an Ace Attorney fancast. I'm Stephanie, comatose. I'm Michelle. I have a job, but only for clout. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, we're back, baby. Uh, you know, we're going to do some Ace Attorney case review. But in the meantime, is there news, Michelle? There is news. It's not, it's not, look. Look, are you tired of the 20th anniversary yet? Happy 2022. The 20th anniversary is ongoing. You know what? Actually, I'm coming back around to it. I'm hyped again. Oh, okay, good. Because the... Some artist somewhere has been still working on this commemorative 20th anniversary, like, uh, ensemble picture, which has, like, everybody in it from the series. All your faves and your non-faves and some of your why are these people in this picture people, they're all in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's done now, so that's exciting. Uh, and, and it's one of the ones where the right side is, like, DGS and the left side is... Uh, phoenix era and it's nice and it's all uh, done and available for you to buy at your convenience when you say available to buy our convenience do you mean like we can put it on a notebook and a mug and a tote bag that i need to investigate <laughs> hey god i know all i know all of our listeners are just dying for like that red bubble ass swag <laughs> i mean it, it... It really is like all I got left, right? I bought all the official merch, so anything I can slap on another mug is really what's gonna let people know about my undying love for Ace Attorney in the office space. Well, unfortunately, when I typed the URL into the uh, the internet, um, it said, "No, no, no, this one, this one doesn't work." Uh, oh, <laughs> so whoops, <laughs> doodle. Uh, hey, Capcom, you all right? Huh, interesting. Oh, this is some very good, cute official art. It's literally, like, everyone. It looks like it's only a poster or a framed poster. We have standards with this one. Man, when you say everybody, it's... We've got, like, Gant. We've got, um... We've got, uh, uh, Dark Law. I don't know what her name is. But the, the, the chick from, um, PL versus AA... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark, yeah, that's her. Dark Law and Sir, what's his face with the dog, and sh- and they get to be right next to Von Zeke's, which seems to be. I do want to talk about that actually. Um, we have Japanese Judge on the top too from uh from this game or Gact. Yeah, like uh, Gact Gact Judge got to make it. Simon got to make the it. The baby got to make it. The I don't know I didn't want to talk about that baby because I have too many questions and not enough answers about the why that baby got to make it the baby from 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 game. this get from DGS yeah. uh, and and we got missile with a little blue badger in his mouth it's very cute little missile it's a good it's a good art this art I like this art um uh both yeah both Simons like uh it's good art. Uh, so good job, twentieth anniversary. You done di- you done hit it at the park here, and you almost can sort of totally notice that Apollo Justice is in the middle. <laughs> it's like it's like you when you look at it for a little bit, eventually you notice like, hey, <laughs> Polly made it. He made it in the middle, in the center. Yeah, between between grandpa and grandson. <laughs> Yeah, and Latina got to make it, and Udgy and Udgy and uh, Udgy got to make it. I'm happy. Yeah. So we'll throw this in. I'm sure I'll put this link in the description. But I don't know if you can get it outside of Japan. It's on um, the Japanese e-Capcom store site. Um, 
But it's a good time, this picture. Um, the But there is a little bit of other news that is non-20th anniversary related. Oh, yeah. Um, Stephanie, are you familiar with Taiko Drum Master? Oh, yeah, actually, I am familiar with Taiko Drum Master. It's like, for people who are not, it's like the drum part of Rock Band, only it's not the same kind of drum at all. Yeah, I mean, I knew you, I, it was a, hey, a little bit behind the scenes here at, uh, an objectivist central of I knew you were familiar with Taiko Drum Master, but I was um, I was I was giving the audience the information. Can you explain though? The, so the Taiko Drum is a sideways drum, like if it the drum head is towards you when you play it. Correct. Yeah, they are they are large, big, uh, often big, large drums that require uh, more like. Thick sticks. I don't. I don't know how to say. It. Like instead of our traditional Western thin drumsticks, they're much thicker, and it's more of a full arm rhythmic beating of the drum. Right. Um, but they made a video game for it. That's called Taiko Drum Master, right? Yes. And you and you hit on you hit on a real drum, like a like a real like a real boy, a real um, crump pum pum kind of boy. <laughs> like you know? a, yeah, like a real little drummer boy, but. Taiko Drum Master has a game called um, Taiko no Tatsujin, which I don't know if that's just the Japanese translation for Taiko Drum Master. I didn't want to assume. It might be a mobile. But anyway, guess who shows up in the story mode of Taiko no Tatsujin? It's Phoenix Wright. Well, this is bizarre. (laughs) And he gets to be a little chibi boy pointing... um, He gets... He was introduced as a battle member in Taiko no Tatsujin... Dokodon Mystery Adventure, and then a medley, like a one, two, three Phoenix Connection medley is the the song that is played. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, this is so random, and I don't know what to do with information, but like, oh yeah, because like, there's, the music in Ace Attorney is iconic. Okay, okay. This is a Google search. Maybe this will be enlightening, but at least you can see a little chibi Phoenix if you do it. I do. Uh, he's he's a little uh, ugly, uh, but it's fine. Look, we've had it worse. We've had it worse. I've seen the Capcom finger. Um, but it looks like he was introduced a while ago, but it's kind of hit news again. I think they introduced a new medley of the Phoenix Wright songs on whatever the newest Taiko Drum Master is. I'm sure there's an entire subculture of Taiko Drum Master fans who are, like, fully at my throat right now. Uh, um, yeah, but... I'm looking at Google Images, and I've come across where you can have a team of Phoenix, Kirby, the cat from Neo Yokio, a <laughs> priestess girl of some kind, uh, the penguin with the hammer and smash, I forget his name, King Dedede. You have to go back to the cat from Neo Yokio. <laughs> Do you mean Neo Yokio? <laughs> I don't think his name is Neo Yokio. No, but what are you talking about? Oh. Because Neo Yokio is the show with J- Jaden Smith in it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Um. No, you're right. That's Neo Yokio. Um. I don't remember. Yokai Watch. Okay. There Yokai you go. Watch. There you I'm go. so sorry. I watched both at the same point in my life. I because I love Neo Yokio, and yes, so I, know. I'm so I didn't sorry. remember a cat, and I was about to be like, "What the fuck do you mean that the only revival of Neo Yokio is in Taiko Dramas?" <laughs> no, I I apologize greatly, and uh, I I meant Yokai Watch. So sorry, you've disappointed me. I'm sorry, and then there is a, a cat from Monster Hunter also on this team. Oh yeah, one of the palicos. Yeah, yeah. So like this. 
this must be a MOBA and it's fucking wild. Yeah, so, you know, if, you, if you're if you like a, a Phoenix Wright fiend and you play everything that he's in, congrats on your new obsession with Taiko Drum Master. You're gonna have a great time. But have fun with Phoenix Wright and your Kirby slash fiction. I'm sure it's gonna go well. Well, it's the best you're gonna get since he will never be in Super Smash Brothers, so. No, he never will be. Um, but that's the news. And uh, now I guess we're gonna enter, we're gonna talk about Gek, so we're gonna enter spoiler town. Well, for everybody, this time I'm recapping the the case, so we're gonna see if I cover all the important deets. But Michelle, obviously, react and jump in where you feel it. I will. I will jump in. Don't worry. And I have some extra. I have some extra thoughts at the end. I think probably. Uh, yeah. I've got. I've got two main thoughts here. Three main thoughts. But yeah, we'll get to it. All right. So we are in the fourth case of The Greatest Attorney Chronicles. Uh, this part four is called The Adventure of the Clouded Kokoro. Um, and we open with the old-timey Sherlock talking to Wilson, those book pages, you know, following the steam rising from the tea, thinking about that snowy evening, about a young lady stabbed in the back under the cover of fog. And we're like, ooh, Sherlock case. Okay, so we opened with the actual case on February 19th, and we're back at the Chief Lord Justice's office, the one with all the clock gears. And Susato and Rio were like, Rionosuke were like, oh man, like, we stay in that very luxurious and expensive hotel. If we stay there for 10 days, we have blown our year's budget. We gotta stay somewhere else. (laughs) But then Chief Strongheart uh, comes in, and we're like, he's like, "Mm." we're like, hey, we're here to report we won the case. And he, we're like, mm. he's like, yes, I heard yesterday you won the case. And we're like, cool. And he's like, congratulations, you're a fully fledged lawyer now. Would you like your next case? And we're like, mm, we still feel kind of shitty about yesterday's case. And we <laughs> flash back to the last case, which if you all remember, ended with us winning, even though Magnus McGill had laughed maniacally like he did a bad. Like he's super evil. And he kept trying to tamper with everything. And Yeah, like, you know, just like, mm, we kind of feel shitty. Like we uh, let a guilty man go. And, uh, and Shishankar's like, mm, well, that's how, it, that's how the cookie crumbles. Also, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't feel too bad, kid. He's dead. Yeah, so what happened was, <laughs> if you remember, at the, the anime cutscene at the end of last case, the uh, omnibus was on fire and there was pounding on the door like someone was inside of it. Indeed, Magnus McGillard was in that case, in that omnibus, and he died. He was he was nothing but a charred corpse at the end. So, um, and we were like, oh shit. And we think about it, and when we were saying goodbye to Magnus, he's like, I'm gonna go be present for the re-examination of the omnibus. And Sarkart's like, that's weird. We had no plans to re-examine that. Uh, whatever, that's for the police to worry about, not you guys as lawyers. And so we're like, wow, that's shitty. Uh, what? And he's like, you got 23 hours, 43 minutes and 19 seconds till the next trial starts. And we're <laughs> like, what? And he goes, so if you so choose, and we're like, what? He's so, he basically convinced us that we're going to take another trial and he, we're going to talk to Scar- Scotland Yard's going to debrief us on the case. Uh, don't worry. We have, we have, uh, you know, we have time yet. We apparently talked to this guy for a few more minutes. And then we also talk about Asogi's dream don't worry, Kazuma's never gonna leave us because his dream hangs over us. Because Chief <laughs> Justice is like, hey, what was that thing you were talking about, about, like, that important something? And um, and then Rinosuke's like, I don't know what the important something is. He kind of died before he got to tell me what it was. But I'm gonna figure it out. And Justice is like, okay, kid. Bye. Um, so then we talk to our police inspector, Tobias Gregson from the Scotland Yard. Michelle, what is? would you like to give us a brief view of what this man looks like? 
I would love to. So he's in a he's in your detect your classic detective coat, detective coat. Um, but he's in a suit. His his overcoat is um olive green, right? The detective color. Mm-hmm. His he's in the suit with the old timey Victorian kind of collar that sticks straight up and like has a little a little bendy over, but not that much. Uh, he's gray haired, a gray mustache. And the mustache is the kind of kind, like, think Marvin Grossberg's little, like, big sort of shaped mustache where it little curls up a little bit at the end, but not in a pretentious way. And I want you to remember that because whenever I mention a mustache going forward, it's that mustache. <laughs> Everyone has the same mustache in this case. But Gregson, he's got really heavy eyebrows, very small eyes. A very long sort of ov- oval-shaped face. And then the, the barest hint of a whisper of a chin. The <laughs> the tiniest little suggestion, but mostly it just is like a, a blip on your screen. And the rest of it is just no chin zone time. We got like a Bob's Burgers going here. Yeah. Uh, he, he wears a bowler hat. And in his bowler hat, he has a little notebook stuffed into it. Um, and he's eating fish and chips out of a newspaper g- cone. This ungodly hour of, like, 8.45 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And when we say fish and chips, we mean, like, the British version, which is just a big old chunky thing of fries. A big old... He's got one piece of fried fish and then, yeah, big sort of steak cut for for the American steak cut French fries for everyone else in the world. Fish and chips. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But he's... I would say his disposition is grumpy. <laughs> Fully put out. Right. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to do anything. It's very inconvenient to him. So yeah, this is this is who our, our, our lead investigator detective is going to be for this game. And so he tells us, he's like, all right, so the basic bones is a young woman was stabbed in the back on Briar Road. She's unconscious, in a hospital, and not dead. Uh, Stephanie knows this girl would super be dead because of the way England is during this time period. But apparently she's just in a coma. Uh but they found evidence that leads to a single suspect, so they're, like, pretty sure they got the guy. This is going to be an open and shut trial. Don't even waste your time, kid. Baron von Zeeks is going to, uh, the believed Harringer, Harringer, believed Har- <laughs> Harbringer, Harbringer, thank you. <laughs> Harbinger. <laughs> but, um, of death itself, Lord of Darkness, the Reaper of the Bailey, will be prosecuting. He doesn't work miracles. He works magic. Black magic, which I think is very weird for Gregson to have said, but he says it. Like, Gregson's whole deal is the such that he would never say that, right? Yeah. The fact that yeah. he has says he says this little aside of the magic and miracles things is very strange. But anyway, he's like, all right, so you got a very clear-cut case. Uh, inmate 53 is our suspect. He's in jail cell number nine if you want to go talk to him. And we're like, well, we're not sure if we're taking this case, but we're going to go talk to him anyway. Um... Because we're full of doubt and like, what is, you know, what is being an attorney all about questions, right? So we go to go to, we go to the jail cell. It looks like a dungeon, kind of like what you expect. And the cell doors have these like weird openings where you, they open up so you can see the inmate's face. Uh, which to me as a jail cell seems like a very bad design. I'm sure it's just so you can talk to this guy Probably. I think it's like inspired by the sort of jail cells where they would have a slot and they'd push a plate through the slot. Right. But the slot is all the way at face height. 
the the slot is its face height and it's like way too big it's like two feet by two feet you know and also they the animations for him is they remove the bars sometimes so you can see him better Mm -hmm. so it's just very strange why they did that at all but anyway we meet the defendant and we learn that he is speaking in japanese and we're like whoa whoa we're hearing the japanese language what the hell is this and we meet our defendant sosuke natsume Oh, Suseki Natsumi. Turns out he's a real guy. He's a real guy? Yes. Oh my, oh my god. Hang on, let me describe him. Okay, yes, go ahead. so he's a little on the older side, but it may be just because I did not look at his age at all in the court record. I'm a terrible person. Oh, I didn't but, either. I forgot. But it could be because his hair color, because his hair is kind of like a dark bluish gray, and he has of uh, matching the same mustache, which I thought was a very sort of prim, proper mustache, but... Uh, people later in this case give him shit for his weird mustache, and even though it's exactly the same as everyone else's. Yes. But he has very large eyes. They're like steel gray and shiny, um, but he has very dark spots under his eyes. He's got thick eyebrows, and they look like they were... Like, the rest of him is drawn in sort of smooth anime, but his eyebrows look like they were drawn with a pencil. Mm-hmm. He is wearing a brown-toned sort of gray suit, if you understand what I mean. It's gray, but it's like that brown tone, kind of dirty gray. Mm -hmm. Dark red bow tie, a sort of lime-toned green vest, and and it looks fucking terrible. It is not working. This outfit sucks. Um... Mm -hmm. And he is has a little pocket square that I would I would describe as a literal piece of ham. <laughs> he he has lunch meat bologna in his pocket, and that's his pocket square. If you can picture a piece of marbled ham, that's what the pocket square looks like. <laughs> I just described it as pink in my notes, but <laughs> but you're wrong because it looks like ham. <laughs> Um, he's extremely scared most of the time, but when he's excited, uh, in any way, positive or negative, he, like, starts doing Power Rangers poses. Yes. And I would say, like, in order to understand this guy, he, like, he does these anime poses. Uh, he also, like, cries anime river tears. He gets, eyes gets anime river shine. When he gets scared, they're very, like, sketchy. So, like, he feels almost, like designed to look like traditional animation kind of like vibes i don't know why yeah his whole deal is confusing to me yeah because like that and then his like he's like a poet he does haikus um but he never actually does maybe this is a translation thing but it seems to be that when he strikes his power ranger poses he should be doing haikus but instead he just says like power (laughs) inspiring inspirational yeah. They always have, they always start with the same letter. So, like, fearsome, fiery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't understand why, as a haiku person, he's doing it like, like a Power Ranger. I don't understand that. And because he's a haiku poet, I don't understand why he's in England to study English literature when haikus are the most Japanese thing I could possibly think of. Well, I think that's his. That was his argument too. Is he he isn't actually here to study English literature. They sent him to study the English language, right? The language, right? And instead of do that, he's just fucking around. And this is kind of more later, but I'm sharing this in the chat. The screenshot, Michelle, of at the very end of this case, which we'll get to. He kind of says like, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go write a book now." 
And yeah. I was like, this has to be a real person. Otherwise, why would they put this in here? And so I've, I only put this in here so we can like look at the real man. Oh, and I'm like, my maybe, God. oh, my maybe God. the mustache is bad in real life, and that's why they keep talking about his heinous mustache. But it's a normal mustache in real life. It's a normal mustache both in the game and in real life. But I have, I have a note which is so the this case is called the the mystery of the clouded Kokoro, mm-hmm. right? Um, I had no fucking idea. I don't, I am not familiar with this as a Sherlock Holmes case. I did not know why it was Kokoro. Maybe I just don't know and I could educate myself. But the fact that he wrote a novel called Kokoro in real life makes sense. But if you look at this, at the, the Google thing and it says unfinished work, you know, it says his novels, Kokoro, Bachan, and I am a cat. <laughs> uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh. I also like how Ace Attorney also ruined the Google search because now the Ace Attorney image is the third Google search the image. The third Google search is this man who, I, if you Google it, they've done him so dirty because he looks fucking terrible. This, I like, like he, or at least his outfit, like he looks unhinged. Yeah, and I would describe his character in this game as unhinged. All right, so that's a bunch of asides. We can dissect more of that later if we so choose. No, this is very important too, though, because I can see when he died from his Wikipedia. And since he's a real guy, that means that we have carbon dated Ace Attorney. And now all the times when I have to Google when shit was invented, I can carbon date it by (laughs) when this dude died. So this is very important for me and my insane inability to suspend disbelief for this game (laughs) that we keep having to talk about. I'm sorry I can't fucking not talk about it for five seconds. Back to the case. We meet our defendant and he is very, you know, he's very anxious. He thinks he's cursed. So we ask him what the hell happened, right? And we don't know if we're defending him yet, but we, we want to get some info, right? So he, got, he went to a bookshop, and as he was walking, he saw a lady on the street, and as he was about to overtake her, she fell. And he's like, freaked the fuck out, and went back to his, his, um, his room. The next morning at breakfast, he was arrested, being fingered by Herlock Shalom's, even though no one, he said no one else was at the scene. He was arrested because... He wasn't able to understand the cop's English, and he just said yes to everything they asked him, and he was arrested. Uh, so Ryunosuke uh, has a crisis about this man and about justice, and he wishes Kazuma was here. He's just like, ah, you know, I guess I'll go look at the crime scene. So we agree to go look at Briar Road, and it's cold looking. There's a bent bike in the corner. There's a windows are boarded up over here. Uh, there's a, but and we look at the crime scene, there's a snowman, and we see, like, it's just like a snowy London corner. We're like, oh, look at the bobbies! And Susano has, like, this thing of how she wants to wear a hat. Susano wants to be, Susano's, like, fangirls about British stuff, but, like, weird British stuff. Yeah. So she really wants to wear the helmet and ride in the carriage where they, like, bring prisoners yeah and uh we you know we learn a lot of stuff by talking to um we uh gregson is here and we talk to him a bit and we learn how bobbies have to walk 20 miles a day you know they have to like wake people up with long poles against their windows and do things that don't sound like what cops have to do but that's the london bobby way i want to pause pause i want to pause right there because i know too much about this uh-huh be- because of 99 percent invisible thank you for everyone all the beautiful nerds out there so the shit that he's talking about that doesn't sound like police work mm-hmm. in fact was not police work 
and was like side jobs that Bobby's would take up to make extra scratch. And the waking people up in the morning with a long pole on their windows, still not police work, was a job for years and years and years, both in England and in the U.S., when clocks were inefficient, like clocks were not reliable or not affordable, and it was called a knocker-upper. Interesting. So the Bobbies would often take up the job of being knocker-upper because they were walking around their neighborhoods anyway, so they would make extra scratch by knocking up windows. Oh, okay. Uh, It's a good episode, 99PI. Go listen to it. But the problem with me knowing that is me being like, hang on a second. Because I, because of my, because of the weird racism, my inability to suspend disbelief in this game, I'm like, hang on a second. So they have the job of a knocker-upper in this game, which means that clocks are unreliable, even though the Supreme Court Justice sits in her office made entirely of a clock, and we're like in a steampunk world where clocks actually are really reliable because he can pinpoint your time down to the second. With his little stopwatch, oh, right? Oh, I didn't even put all that together, yeah. So I'm like, wow, this is a world where clocks are reliable, but they still have the job of knocker-upper, which either means that they are sometimes, they're not reliable and the Supreme Court justice is fully, fully full of shit, like, or uh, they're unaffordable, which I can believe. That's but what just... I was going to say. I think for this game, in this game, in this context, I think time is for the rich. I think you're right, but I just had to, like, Gregson said that, and I had to stop and stare off into space for, like, a minute and a half while I puzzled through all of this shit. Yeah. And I guess Stephanie, who knows, who, like, got into, like, Sawbones and, like, weird Victorian medicine for a while, keeps thinking how people should be dead at every given moment something happens. Don't worry, the victim who should have been dead because of how medicine is, is definitely gonna die of sepsis. In a few days. Right. <laughs> Given, I know she, like, manages, spoilers for this very case that we're talking about right now, manages to live through this case. You know, give it a little bit. She'll definitely die soon. Don't worry, Stephanie. <laughs> and I haven't played the next case, so I don't know. Uh, or yeah. the next game. I Even if she comes back in the next game, her days are numbered. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we learn also from Gregson, we learn how, so within the Ace Attorney universe, we learn what Bobbies do. Very respectable, very hardworking men. Um, That we also learn that the only witnesses to the crime were indeed a cop and his wife. Yeah. Uh, But we do not get to talk to them or learn anything more about them. So while we're there, we learn more about Baron Von Zeeks. And what we usually learn is he only goes after mastermind criminals. So it's weird that he picks up this case. Uh, but we kind of also learned that just just because he's a reaper doesn't mean he always wins. What it means is that even if somebody he's uh, going against wins the case, they mysteriously die at some point. Yeah, it's a curse. It's like a curse. We're like, okay, the cool, curse. cool, cool. Um, and so we, we kind of like learned more about like, hey, uh, so we heard Herlock was involved. And then Gregson's like, ugh, I hate that guy. Uh, don't talk to me about him. But yeah, he helped, I guess. So we go to Herlock's house. He's not, and we get like a, a we get the smallest anime cutscene for the for no reason. <laughs> I also had to like stare into space for this one too. 
So we 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 get a little anime cutscene of us taking the carriage over to Herlock's house. We look at the house. End of cutscene. <laughs> well, well, no, but hang on though. So we're going to two twenty two twenty one B Baker Street, right? And the most famous address in the world. So we take the carriage, and we don't worry. We don't like. We kind of get a close up of the building, but not really. We we take the carriage. We get out of the carriage. Rinosuke's like, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And then the Bobby, the the guy, carriage driver is like, it's just up the stairs there. There's twenty to do twenty one B Baker Street, and he and Reno's K again. Thank you, thank you. And that's the. <laughs> I, I, it, it was what? just so fucking pointless. <laughs> what? <laughs> and there's so many things I would have rather had an anime cutscene of than them taking a carriage to do twenty one B Baker Street. <laughs> That's the only anime cutscene we get in this case. Moving on. We formally go inside and we formally meet Iris because we saw her at the last case with like the 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 gu- pink gun. Uh, and she calls Herlock Hurley. And then she's like, hello, Susie and Reno. Is what she, Reno. She, yeah, she calls Reno's case something insane. It's Reno. And I keep calling him Ryu in my notes because... That makes sense. It's easier. It's less letters to type, right? And it makes sense. But she calls him Bruno. Um, and then we have a little bit of logic and reasoning spectacular from Iris, and Iris is, uh, you know, like, actually smart. Uh, yeah. So she's, she's like, good at oh, it. yeah, like, I saw you in court yesterday, and you had your passport in your pocket, and an interesting note, you know, for visit that you said it's got the red stamp for visiting foreign inmates. Uh, so she kind of, like, figures out our whole deal and why we're here. Because uh, Herlock returned to London yesterday, and he was immediately taken to the rail station from the crime scene for a short, shifty-looking man shivering in fear. So, um, so she's we're like, wow, you know literally everything, Iris. And she's like, oh, good, I'm just imitating Hurley, ha ha ha. And this is where we get confirmation that she's 10 years old. Right. Um, I, I would describe her, but you don't, you know, we've described her so many times. She's steampunk Chibiusa, yeah. or mini Sailor Moon from Sailor Moon. Like, She's 10. She's 10, but she is acts like a 20-minute pixie dream girl, you know? Yeah. We ask her, like, hey, you're 10. Why do you live with Herlock in this flat? And she's just like, oh, you know, you you, gotta, you can't afford London without a roommate. And we're like, what about your parents? And she goes, mm, don't, don't have, have those. those. And that's all she'll say about it kind of thing. And the and our genius children, um, <laughs> our genius children, Ryu and, Ryu and Susie, do not put together, like, her name is Iris Watson, or Wilson, Wa- Wilson, Iris Wilson, and she writes under the pen name of John Wilson, the victim from the first case. They don't put this together. No, we do not address this at all. Do not, MD, yeah, John Wilson, MD, the guy that we knew and who died, uh, no, don't put, to- don't put it together, nope. Yeah. And Susano's a little disenchanted, like, she's like, oh, all the, like, beautiful stories I love and treasure, like, happened here, but they're also not necessarily always true, turns out, right? Like, artistic liberties are taken with the story. Uh, another important thing we acknowledge here is, with her, is that the yard is too busy to sleuth, so they pin crimes on the first suspect, and that's what the best judicial system in the world has going for it. <laughs> because there's just so much crime in London. Yeah. So we talked to her a little bit, and then we, uh, in order to find out the address uh, that Natsume lives at, we are given a card from Iris and five shillings to go back to talk to Gregson. And the note says, tell the man whatever he wants to know. 
So we we go back to Gregson, we give him the thing, and he starts calling uh, Iris her ladyship. He's very, he is very fond of Iris, is what we learn. He starts, like, saluting. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie also went and then Googled if that his salute was correct. It is correct. Oh, okay, good. Um, I did some, I did Google some stuff here and I was like, all right. Eyes narrowed. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. I Googled and I was like, fine. Fine. You get this one. You get this one. Good job. Uh, okay. Uh, I made a side note that I'm mad that we have designed coats for all of these characters, but we don't put them on. But it's very cold outside. We are repeatedly reminded how cold it is. Yeah. The anime cutscenes, they get coats, but they don't get to wear them on their sprites. It is sad because their coats are very good. Yeah. Um, so we talk to Gregson after we give him the money and he's very, he's like, okay, actually Natsumi lived literally across the street from this crime scene. Uh, and so we go to that house and it's the one that has bricked up windows on the first two levels and the top level, um, has a window. Um, how do you say this guy, the landlord's name? I've been saying Garadeb. Garadeb? Okay. I've been saying Gabardine, which I know is wrong. So that's not, that's definitely not not it. it. Yeah. I've been, I've been saying John Garadeb in my head. I have not figured out the pun for John Garadeb. No, I mean, his he has a look that is a uh, man in the moon. But would you like to describe John? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, well, first we meet the maid. Right. Um, um, she has got a very extremely round face. No chin. No chin at all. I think you're going to notice a trend here where I say that these people have no fucking chins. Um, I don't know why. they are the. Uh, this is... But anyway, so no chin... Purse, like, really tiny little pursed lips. She's blushing. Her eyes are usually closed in this sort of dignified pose. She's got a frilly ape, made apron, made bonnet, blue shirt, little red upside-down V-shaped tie, um, a brown bob, but I said I have written here, but in the shade of brown that is in the green family. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would say it's like a medium lightish brown kind of color. Yeah. Um, she carries a small little teapot on a tray with both hands. Um, and when you mention certain things, she does, like, react in a sort of drastic way. Like, some, if you say something and she, sometimes her, like, she, her eyes will snap open and she'll smile really big. And then, like, immediately go back to, like, eyes closed, dignified. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say, like, in, in more with her round face is she's also got these chubby cheeks. That Huge cheeks. jiggle a lot. Jiggly cheeks. Huge cheeks. jiggly cheeks. Um, and she's very short. Oh yeah, she's very short. So we meet um, we meet her, and then she goes and fetches John. John. So John Garadev, uh is is the is Soseki's landlord, and he's a tall, older gentleman. Um, he's always in profile, sitting in a chair, facing like to the left of the screen. He wears a blue robe, like or a house coat over a shirt and an ascot. His face is severely pointed, like drastic cheekbones. Um, he has light brown, sort of grayish brown hair and, the, and a pointy beard. So his hair will go straight up sort of like a shark fin. And then his beard goes straight out such that he becomes like a half moon. His profile looks like a half moon um, or like a crescent moon face with his sharp, sharp pointy face. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the same, I cannot stress this enough, the same mustache that everyone else has. <laughs> Um, he has, uh, very thick eyebrows and he has a cane that's propped up on the chair next to him. And he is always holding this round smoking pipe. Mm 
the sort of like bell-shaped smoking pipe that ye oldie time people did and he has a cup of tea in his other hand um the pipe is taped together on the stem and he stirs his teacup with the part the mouth end of the pipe and um the the maid will often pour tea into his cup and let it run over when he's trying to talk to you and then he'll like snap at her and then he won't finish what he's saying like she's doing it She's doing it on purpose, clearly. Yeah, she keeps burning him with the tea. <laughs> I wrote this when we met him before anything had happened in the game. Uh, he has a ring on his left finger on the wedding ring finger. Oh, good catch. Yeah, so we, we meet them. And so we're trying to ask like what they know or if they saw anything with a crime. And um, the maid, her name is Joan. Uh, she knows that every day he goes, that's me goes to the bookshop and he comes home around five. He stays up till like 2am reading. She's like, he's just a weird little guy. Um, and, uh, and we're like, well, can we go examine his room? And they're like, sure. He moved in like a week ago. You wouldn't know it. His window's bricked over. There's a cat in there. It's described as musty. And also a lot of people in game can't say Natsume's name correctly. They like are like Natsuma, like not like they struggle with it. And I'm not sure why. Yeah. But that is like in the game, people do struggle with it. And so I, I don't know. I will say that um, when they describe the room as musty, they act like they would all rather die than be in this room. That's how bad it is. Right. Yeah. They, they really like are like, oh my God, I, I, I'd rather die than be here kind of thing. Who could imagine living in a room without light? The fact that the windows are bricked up, you're gonna like, I, it's kind of like, they're a little bit overdoing it. They are. But I have also worked with a lot of people and talked to a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I need natural light. I can't live in a basement. And I'm like, I don't sympathize. I don't, I, you know, but I, I also have never lived in a room that the window has been bricked over. So I think you just get that like squalor kind of effect of this place. Well, he also has, I don't know if you're going to mention this, but he has the gas meter in his room. Oh, I did not actually notice that. So. Oh, okay. So, so I do want to mention it sort of offhand because so so Seki mentions that he believes that the room is cursed he mentions this later a little bit but he he's like I can't you know I've been cursed ever since I've come to London and that I've been cursed ever since I moved into that room and that he has the gas meter for the building in his room and the way that it worked back in London is that you would actually put coins in to purchase gas for the house to fuel your lanterns Oh. So Homeboy has a gas leak is what I is Oh, what I I'm survived about. at a point that his cat like that cat was sleeping on him and like that's what he was feeling. Oh, like he was having um the sleep paralysis with his cat on his chest. Yeah. Or like no, part of I, was like maybe. does he not know this cat's in his room? <laughs> like I he, he never talks about the cat. He never talks about the cat, which is weird. But I th- uh, my th- so we both have theories to explain why he thinks his room is cursed and I firmly believe it's a gas leak. It very well could be like it could be both. <laughs> Let's be honest. It could be both. Yeah. It could be both. Um yeah, we also, like, we see, so we, we get into his room and we see that there's a cat there and the cat, like, goes away when you click on it and we never, ever bring up the cat again. Yeah, and it's a calico. And I'm sure now this is a reference to the story the actual author wrote. Called I Am a Cat. Called yeah. I Am a Cat. I'm sure that's what it is now. <laughs> um, but, uh, so while we're in there, we're looking around at all the books and then we turn to the right and there's Herlock Schlomes. 
Uh, <laughs> and we're like, what you doing there, buddy? And I want you to know that I looked to the right first and he wasn't there. And then if you turn, if you look at something else and you look back, he's there. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, so we're like, what's up, buddy? And he's like, well, uh, it bothered me. So the police came and got me and said, like, hey, can you help us figure out, like, who the like the, about this crime and he goes well i found some books on the ground and i said these books belong to this man and that's all i did was say like hey i found the owner of these books i didn't say he killed the girl or stabbed her or anything she's not dead didn't say i stabbed she stabbed her so i'm here to like investigate because it was bothering him um and then he does agree that john upstairs is hiding something but he doesn't know what and he doesn't know if it's going to be significant to the case and then we learn about, like, oh, you need to have a maid in London. Otherwise, you know, you're you're at least one maid to be middle class. Otherwise, you're a poor and no one will talk to you. And then we learned about a window attacks that was abolished. But, like, it's London, baby. You know, that's why the window's bricked up. So we kind of learn more about, like, London background and class. Uh, so that we're like, okay, well, I we also think John's hiding something upstairs. So we go back upstairs and Herlock... Uh, you know, they're like, oh, we're gonna eat dinner soon, so you gotta leave. And then, like, Herlock's hanging onto the literal window all of a sudden. And he's like, hey, I'm here too. <laughs> and so we do a little deduction dance now, because we know he's hiding something, and Herlock's invested. And Herlock's like, uh, you guys were hiding a lion in here. And we're like, what the shit? Uh, we do the whole dance. We learn that John is actually, like, the. we learn that the maid, Joan, is actually not a maid, it's John's wife. They have a fucking picture of them together on the mantle. She's wearing the same weird sun ring. She has the worst wedding ring I've ever seen. It's His hideous. is totally normal. Hers is insane. Yeah, it's like a big sun. Uh, and um, basically what happened was John bought a secondhand book that had a love letter in it. And it says something spicy. Not, not you know, something Victorian spicy. It wasn't spicy at all. And so she gets uh, yeah. into a rage and she starts chucking things at him. While she's chucking things at him... A candle gets knocked off the table, starts a fire. All of John's bookcase goes up in flames immediately. She's still chucking things at him. He said, lucky there was bathtub water in there. Later he tells us, um, throws it, puts out the fire, but they open the window to get the smoke out. I'm telling you all the details now because we have to deduce a lot of this later. Yeah. Um, um. But, but basically what happens is we, we do the dance deduction. John falls unconscious and Joan catches him. Uh I liked that one. I like that shot. I have mostly the problem here I have is like while we're doing this, we can see on uh, we have to like zoom around, but we see that John has a big handprint on his face from Jones slapping him. And it doesn't make sense at all. No, he's been hiding it the whole time. But yeah, you can totally see in the deduction dance that he has this handprint on it. But also, this is the only time that I like got really stuck because of like your classic ace attorney like i'm presenting the right thing but what i actually have to do is zoom into the thing and present the zoom in mm -hmm. but my other thought is like the only time that rianosuke is happy is when he's doing these deductions with <laughs> her like shelves when he's in court he's not happy after court he's not happy before court he's not happy he's only happy when he's doing this <laughs> interesting and i it's sad I mean, his whole life is very sad, I agree. <laughs> but he didn't have to get on a boat and run away to England. <laughs> he chose this life. He chose this life, and he chose to keep, keep, keep 
choosing to live it. Like, it's a continuous decision every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, we do this dance, and we, we learn all this stuff. We also learn that his favorite book was was burnt, um, and then we also uh, have a lot of uncertainty of this case, but uh, we need to go back, and we need to decide if we're taking the case or not. So we go back to prison, and um, before we're about to leave, though, we get back outside the building, and there's two characters there. Don't worry, I'm gonna bring them up real quick, but they never come back for this case. One, I would say, is the Glimmer's Flop. Uh, flop. He uh, is a very Shakespearean version of LaBelle. He's a big guy, and then there's a big guy with no chin, no nonsense guy in yellow. Well, he is a big chin. Like, He's- like, the way that I would probably describe them in short is Ace Attorney's version of French royalty and Popeye the Sailor Man. Yes, Popeye. I couldn't think of Popeye when I was playing the game, but yes, now he pops into my head. So yeah, you got a Shakespeare, I got, I, I've said Shakespeare LaBelle and a Popeye the Sailor. They're arguing and they le- they have like an argument and then they leave. Uh, we don't, and they're, and we're like, we don't know. But apparently the Shakespeare guy, uh, he's the other tenant who lives in the building and he had no idea that Natsume was uh, arrested. So we're like, well, he doesn't know shit. Let's go. Uh, we go, we talk to Natsume. Herlock comes with us for whatever reason. And he, we're like, we decide to take the case. Oh, I'll add one thing. So uh, Popeye the Sailor Man is the only brown person in this game so far. Yes. Everyone else has been like pale as fuck except him. That's all. But okay. Yeah. So uh, we take the case. We go next day in court. We tell Natsume we believe in him. Van Zeke is an ass. And we have to deal with just bad racism from the beginning of this case. It's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. But anyway, let me describe the jurors. Yes, please. Um, so juror number one is Bruce Fairplay from the last case. My, my note there was, is that Beaver Teeth Man? And then I was like, it is indeed Bruce Fairplay. <laughs> it was Bruce Fairplay. And then juror number two is like a young Victorian woman in a maroon dress, sort of frilly lapel, yellow shirt, um, big giant brown eyes, tiny, tiny red lips, pale as fuck, pearl earrings. She introduces herself as uh, more ruthless than she appears. But she also says, I do declare a lot, kind of like a Southern Belle, even though that's not right for England. But whatever. Um, Juror number three is a young man with a blonde bowl cut, light blue eyes, brown suit, brown bowler hat with a blue hat band. Describes himself as a peace-loving fellow. Juror number four is fucking Joan Garadeb, the maid from the Garadeb household. Uh, Juror number five is this gigantic man, huge nose, huge brown beard, enormous lips, no overcoat, orange puffy, pageboy cap, orange vest, red neckerchief tied so that it like points down, not quite like a bow, but sort of like the bottom part of a bow. Uh, And then juror number six is an old man who's balding on top, big white beard, big circular eyebrows, big rosy nose and rosy cheeks, wearing a green overcoat. And um, a blush pink vest, slightly darker tie than his vest, and he keeps his eyes mostly closed, and he's very hard of hearing, so he's always holding his hand next to his ear. And I believe juror number five is also supposed to be African-American, or I guess slack. But he's, but he's not, he's drawn the way that Japan likes to draw black people, but his skin tone is not that dark. 
if that makes sense. It was dark enough for me to, like, assume that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. He gives me a weird feeling. He gave me a very, like, I mean, I know this is British, but he gave me a very American dock worker vibe. Yeah, that's um, true. But anyway, so those are our jurors. Immediately called Gregson to the stand. We learned the victim's a young lady in her 20s named Olive Green, but she's still in a coma, so we don't actually know that for sure. Uh, the weapon that was stabbed in her back was a common jackknife, and there's no motive they can establish, but Natsume was the only person there, so it had to be him. I need to press pause on common jackknife for a second, because that means nothing to me, but it looks like a, a pocket knife, a, and it's foldable. It's a foldable pocket knife, but I don't know how we don't know how long it is ever we just know that the reactions of Rinosuke and Susato are yeah that could basically like ouch yeah that could do some damage but it's a fucking pocket knife i it's a it's a pocket so based knife. on the pictures and stuff i have to say that the knife blade is probably like the the length of a hand so probably like a full 6 inches and folded on yourself so i think it is not like pocket knife, which is like a finger length. It is full hand to finger length. I mean, it is for this case, but it looks like a pocket knife. I I can't disagree, but so it's like a it's like a jacked up <laughs> pocket knife. So maybe that's what a jack knife is. I don't know. So a jack knife is a jacked up pocket. Yeah, knife. that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, did we establish that? All right, let's go. <laughs> so sorry, it just kept bothering me that this foldable knife is so big. Put. And also that a knife wound put a woman in a coma. That I could not get past that. I couldn't that. get past anyway. that there's no blood anywhere. We're all okay with this. That's what I couldn't get past. <laughs> Jacked a pocket knife in a woman's back, put her in a coma for more than three days, and there's no blood anywhere. It's it's all things that fucking we could not get over. Yes. Um. I mostly say that we object in the beginning, and Van Zeeks has no patience. He flings his whole ass bottle into the galley because we soured it by talking immediately. <laughs> immediately. immediately. Um, I also want to. Unfortunately, I need to add this. The so the victim is a uh, is a fat woman, and Joan Garadeb is a fat woman, and we do like to be mean to them for being fat a lot. There's a lot of shit given to the witness because she's fat. Uh, or to to the victim because she's fat. And I don't understand why. There's also a but... point I, I skipped over, but Gregson does say about the victim, we're like, oh, the lady's in a coma. He goes, she's no lady. Yeah, it's fucked up. So not only are we racist, but we're also really mean to fat people in yeah. this case. And it's because she's a poor college student is what we also learn. But it's more like, like we're mean because she's fat and poor. Like, great. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Love it. Loving it. Love it. Um. So, uh, we learn, uh, so we're just like, hey, you know, like, the, you guys are saying that, like, oh, he came from this bookstore. That's not the bookstore he has receipts from, though. So we learn it's from a second bookstore that's just two storefronts down, basically. So we keep trying to, like, figure out, like, well, maybe he wasn't there because we've, at, like, they asked Natsume. He doesn't remember how he got home because he's constantly skittish and afraid of everything. So we learned there are two used bookshops. Natsume went to the further one, but it doesn't matter. And the jury is like, he's guilty. We're, we're done here. So then we have to do the yeah. turn the tide bit. The summation examination. Uh, and what we come to we come to say is, hey, this old man in a green overcoat is also round. Maybe we, Natsume saw this old man fall and hit his head. 
because it happened just a block over. And we also say that the, she couldn't have gone down this street because the dock worker was telling us he was working on that street that day and he uh, the street was torn up. So there's no way someone could have crossed the street there probably. And so we're like, oh, fuck. Everyone who's on this jury apparently is involved in this case to some degree. Every, nearly all of them. Yeah, the only people who are not is like Bruce Fairplay in the Victorian Southern Bell. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we changed some people's mind by being like, maybe we saw this old man fall instead, and, you know, maybe he couldn't walk that way because we were working on the street. And Von Zeke's, after we turned over, is like, uh, he could have jumped over the street, like, come on. Like, kids jump over the street all the time, like, look at, look at this man. He can't jump over a street. Look at this terrified man. No, he didn't jump over a work site, but whatever. Right, so Von Zeke's point is, like, the jury could very easily be swayed with anything. And, uh, Susato, like, has some good chops in this case, I will say. And it made me wish Susato was the lawyer here. She does a great job, and, and, uh, she does keep speaking up and saving your ass, and I appreciate her for it. But they also are... Like, Van Zeeks is, like, I'm poor Susato, because in Japan she's not even allowed to enter the courtroom, right. right? Because she's a woman. And so I'm sure she's, like, feeling like absolute shit, because the moment that she opens her mouth and says a good point, Van Zeeks is like, your hellhole country must be really backwards that you would let a woman, you know, speak. And I'm like, oh my it god. Was, like, oh It god. hurt, yeah. Um... And then she feels, and then she's made to feel bad. I mean, I know probably accurately no woman would be in this courtroom, but no, we have but, enough whimsy. You know, we, and we've been through that because I Googled when jur- when people, women could sit on a jury in, in England and it was way after this. So it, the, setting that aside, the, the fact of the matter is that the judges allowed her to speak before and that women are on the jury and their in their information is valuable and so she is being disrespected both as a woman but mostly as a japanese person right. and so the racism wins again so at this point we now get the the witnesses to testify and it is constable riley beat and patricia beat would you like to describe them yeah i'll describe them so i let me first take my best guess at the pun so Raleigh Beat, I think, is a pun for royally beaten. Patricia Beat or Pat Beat, I don't know. But anyway, so Raleigh is skinny, kind of short, pale guy, rosy cheeks, very light freckles. He's got kind of a bulbous red nose, very oval-shaped face, big round ears, barest little hint of a chin. <laughs> No chin to speak of. He's got really bright blue kind of wet looking eyes that angle up and he like kind of looks like he's crying all the time or like vacant staring all the time. He's very thick eyelashes. He is the same blonde bowl cut that every sort of young person, young man has in this mm-hmm. game. Um, He's in a Bobby uniform that's very heavily patched and scuffed. It has like mismatched buttons on the front. Um, the Bobby helmet has a strap that is supposed to sit just on the chin and he's chewing on it all the time. Um, and he's wearing a bike, a dark pink striped scarf that is so long that he and Pat are wearing it, both wearing the same scarf. And he is just constantly falling asleep, like almost falling over, falling asleep. Patricia Beat is a skinny round faced young lady in a light purple shirt 
dark purple vest and a pink bow, all of which are like heavily worn and patched. Um, she has really, really bright yellow hair, which is like extremely long and thick and tufty. Uh, or curly. I don't really know what's intended, but basically if you were like five years old and you were going to draw a tree <laughs> and you draw the leaves of the tree, that's how her hair is drawn. But draw it all the way to her feet. Like, like bump, 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 bump. That's how her hair is drawn. And she has like big bright blue eyes that has have a sparkle instead of a pupil. And she also has very thick eyelashes and they're both wearing that scarf. Yeah, they both have like what what gives me like very like 1980s shoujo eyes. Um, and so, yeah. like, I don't know what's with all, like, the, like, like anime, heavy anime uh, tropes that I'm seeing in this case, because it doesn't make any sense. But I, but they're I, all from different eras. Yeah, it, it, that's, like, that's the overtone or undertone that the art team took that really confuses me, because it has no bearing on anything that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we talked to these two, and they're very in love. They claim to have, uh, they were going for their anniversary dinner because they've been married for a whole year. And they claim to have, they saw this Natsume stab, stab the victim. And uh, we keep saying she's dead, even though she's not dead. Uh, and then we get, we get them on saying, like, their, their testimony is very clear. They saw what they saw, right? We keep talking about the London fog. It wasn't that heavy, but there's still fog. Uh, but there was a girl. She dropped dead, or she dropped to the ground after Natsume. He ran off, right? Uh, and so we get them on saying that there were, there were like, how many books were at the scene of the crime? Like, there were four books, I'm sure of it, but Natsume only had three. And so we get them on that, and we look at the fourth book, it's in the victim's hand, and it's called The Lion's Pride, and it's spurred. And this is where they start being mean, because there's a photo of the victim, and they're like, you're like, look, there's only three books in the picture, and they're like, she's too big, you can't see the other book past her giant body. And I'm like, right. So we get a picture from a different angle and she's holding this book and lo and behold, it's also charred, which we're like, hmm, what do we know about fires lately? Yeah. So we we'll, we are like, okay, well, it probably came out of John and Joan's house. And Joan is so livid that we even suggest something happened from her house that we uh, we all get a, vic- a, a, vic- a guilty verdict. Like Ivor was like, he's guilty, 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 guilty. Uh, it is yeah. at this point that I was playing it on the TV and Aaron said, this game, everyone is ridiculous but the judge in this game. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned this because this is, I was playing this next to Tony and I've not let Tony play it because uh, he plays things too fast. So like if I let him play it, he would play it all like in until 4 a.m. and then overtake me and, and that bothers me. So anyway, so I'm not letting him play it yet. And so I'm like, explaining to him because he he says this which is interesting he says isn't this just like pl versus aa right professor layton versus A's attorney and so i'm like no you know you'd think so but it that takes place in a fictional world i'm explaining like the weird racism and then i'm showing him i'm like i have to deal with weird racism and this and i show him like a sprite of one of the sprites of raleigh and pat where pat's like fucking strangling her husband with the scarf yeah and so i'm like i have to look at this but deal with intense racism (laughs) and so the disconnect is really hard to deal with yeah uh um but i want to i want to come back the thing i want to talk about after we're done is i want to come back to pl versus aa okay for a second but keep going i but i had the same thought at the same moment and the same conversation in my house which is like everyone is fully ridiculous in this case but 
you know, you have to trudge on. And it's in a different way than Ace Attorney normally is. Yes. But I can't put my finger on why. Yeah, and I haven't figured out the why yet either. Um, So now we're in the second su- uh, summation, and everyone's like, mm, how was she stabbed? Like, if you could prove to us that she was, like, stabbed in some fantastical way, uh, maybe we would talk. So we pit them against each other, and we're like, maybe Joan threw the knife when she threw everything out. And Joan faints at this idea. So the yeah. jury's like, well, let's, let's, let's entertain this thought. So the trial continues. And we're like, hey, let's... Uh, it- can we cross-examine Joan? And they're like, no, denied. Uh, so, like, fine. Now, like, you can talk to the witnesses that are right here in front of you. So we talk to Raleigh, and Raleigh actually wakes up now. And he's ready to give his testimony, sa. Um, <laughs> he says, sir, with S- S-A-H. Um, and so they basically say, like, we didn't see anything on fire fall out of the house. That's so weird. And then we learn suspiciously that, that Raleigh gave Pat a bouquet. Bouquet meaning a single rose, but it was on the wrong side of the seat. And this is the only time Raleigh's like, hush, love, don't say anything. Like, don't don't bring that up. And we're like, yeah. what do you mean? And then we learn that Raleigh's beat ends on one side of Briar Road. And the other side of the Briar Road is somebody else's beat. So what we learn here is that Raleigh sends Pat to go get help. He stays behind to watch the crime scene, in quotes. Um... And then uh, she's like, I can't believe I dropped my flower, but I dropped it in a dark corner where there's no street light. And so they didn't find the flower until the next day on the side of the road where where John lives. And, and one key fact here is Pat is directionally challenged. Yes. She gets lost all the time. And so what we figure out is we find out is that Raleigh moved the crime scene across the street while Pat was gone. He said he kept everything the same. And that's why, um, and that's why the victim's holding this fourth book in her hand because he found her that way. But he really just wanted to have a fucking nice dinner with his wife on their anniversary, and, yeah, and that's why he and did not this. investigate a crime for once, and not investigate a crime after he walked for twenty miles every day. Offhandedly during this trial, he says that there's some sort of murderer or criminal he's been trying to catch, but hasn't been able to. We don't touch base on that, but it is it is brushed over. That's the reason he has not slept in a month is because he's trying to catch somebody or something. Now, I imagine that'll come up next case, but if it doesn't come up next case, I'm just going to assume it's Jack the Ripper. That's exactly what I was assuming. <laughs> because that's kind of like what you're kind of led to believe with this whole thing anyway, or the, the at the start anyway. So uh, we act like when we solve that we crack that the case has been moved across the street, we like we solved it and we like get really triumphant. But then Joan's just like, say evidence it was my knife that I threw it, right? And we're like, oh, and Von Zeke's like slamming the desk. And he's like, Joan, you need to testify now. I'm not going to stand back and let you just do this. I'm sick of this, right? And then the radio takes a moment to feel like a real lawyer boy. So apparently we start, we, we get Joan on the stand. And then John pops up and he goes, ah, I didn't want you to be alone up here. And I'm like, yeah, I've been here the whole time. (laughs) All right. So, and they're kind of sweet to each other in this moment. But anyway, it's unhelpful. We begin our last cross-examination with them. Uh, We get John's pipe to examine it. uh, And lo and behold, there's the tip of the jackknife that's been missing in this, this whole time. So what happened was Ms. Olive Graham was walking down the street sees a burn book fall in front of her, bends over to pick it up, and a knife impales her in the back and she falls unconscious. Natsume was right behind her because he was going home. Freaks out, drops his books, rushes into his house. And as 
Ryunosuke claims this was nothing more than a series of unlikely events that culminated into an unfortunate accident. So, uh, the couple has, like, a John and Joan, like, sadly fall to the ground in a damage emanation, uh, a damage animation where John catches Joan but does a terrible job doing it she's, she weighs more than his little body can handle. And he's, like, in an injured veteran. <laughs> yes. And, and so then, like, the victim recover, we, we learn the victim is recovering but still in a coma, and that's why he feels bad for assuming she was dead. Um, and that's why he ran to his house, who he's like, they're like, we're sorry we did you such an injustice of our great country of Britain, accusing you of a crime. He goes, I'm sorry, I just thought this girl was dead and I didn't go get her help. Raleigh said the same thing. I thought she was well, dead, yeah. so I moved the crime scene instead of getting this girl help. Right. So we all it's... feel bad for letting this, just assuming this girl this entire time was dead. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up, yeah. Yeah. And so we let John cast Joan's vote on the jury. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like talk about, you don't want to talk about anything. It's that like the last trial where there was clear tampering of the evidence in the courtroom, mistrial. This trial where everyone on the jury is somehow involved in the case, including the real murderer or accidental murderer or non-murderer, but person who did the knife throw fucking mistrial what are we doing yeah there there's no such thing as a mistrial in ace attorney so yeah but john i john sits on the jury and everyone says not guilty yeah Ooh. and so natsume's very grateful for us and herlock shlomes shows up and he's like i'm gonna give you a piece of my mind and shlomes like oh you're the guy who let that girl like basically die and he's like hmm. anyway never mind uh i'm going back to japan now and i'm gonna write my novel uh and we're like are you sure just not trying to escape von zeke's and he goes no i'm gonna i'm gonna go home and write a novel and share all of what I've learned, right? And if you want my old cursed room, you may have it. Uh, and then Shlomes is like, mm, but Iris said you could have her attic instead. And uh, Susato's like, oh, hell yeah. So we go <laughs> check it out. It is a very nice attic and it has a nice office feel. And then Shlomes shows up without his uh, his hat or coat. And I can't handle this. I I think he looks better without the hat and coat. He looks like a, a person, right? But he just looks like yeah. a like a bishy anime boy, which is weird. Oh, yeah. And then I get mad because we could see him take off his coat, but we can't put coats on Ryunosuke and Susato. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, all of that is completely true. Also, the fact that he has an undercut with his little tufty hair tuft. Like, he's definitely a, a dateable character in an Otome. Yeah. He's the vibe that he gives right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the the last thing that we really hear from Sloan's is, like, he's like, oh, wow, have your own office. That's what I felt until the unsavory dark bits of London, you know, make their, and we're like, what? And then we fade to black and we're like, oh, if only we knew how true that was. And that's the case. And that's the case. And I was hanging out in uh, in a voice chat with some people on Tuesday. And I mentioned, because I was play, trying to beat the game before the podcast. And Stephanie wasn't in this chat. But I mentioned this, which is like, we live in Chicago. And you talk to people in Chicago. And there's a lot of people, and most of them are of a certain age who live in Chicago, who fucking hate living in Chicago and will not do anything except talk about how bad it is to live in the city, right? Mm -hmm. And how bad the city is. Yeah. And Sherlock Holmes, 23-year-old, bishy, dateable Otome boy, is giving me the same exact vibes of when you talk to a senior citizen who hates living in the city. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you love it here? You haven't discovered the dark underbelly that person... <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, there's also like there's also that that breed of person who's just like, yeah, I've been mugged fifty two times and I've stabbed a guy and I just you know that's the city, baby. That's what you got here. It's got good stuff and it's bad stuff. That's a real New York mentality, is what I think. Yeah. I mean, there. I think any city has it, and that's I'm just I, any city has it. But like, if you watch a movie, it's what the New Yorker acts like. Right. Yeah. And it's the voice I also just gave it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, like, so that, like, that little bit, like, fell flat for me just because I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a it really did. It just really felt, because also, like, stepping back from that for a second and not projecting our own shit onto it, right? Let's step back for a second. The world's greatest detective has to have a 10-year-old roommate in order to afford to live in the city. <laughs> Like, yeah, no wonder at the dark underbelly. You don't need a roommate, you fucking piece of shit. No, and I think we're supposed to assume, like, yeah, they're roommates, but really it was probably him and John were roommates, and then, like, John got murdered, and now we have- are taking care of his daughter, kind of. I'm sure, but, like, it's just- But she's taking care of us. (laughs) She's taking care of us. Sherlock's unhinged, but I want to step back for a second because Sherlock also has his pipe at this time. Yeah, and it and thinking about it because we just found a piece of a knife inside of a pipe. I'm like, nobody f- smokes in this game. Everyone just carries pipes as, as like status symbols. Right. Not one person smokes, uh, which is crazy. I wonder if they just couldn't get the animation for it. Well, I mean, I don't know. This is where we get, get come back around to. Or smoking. Like, just as a... Because it's been so long, as a reminder, like... And I think this is the most likely option, is Kevin's theory of the matter is that this, the super intense racism is not necessarily for realism. It is because um, the easiest way to make someone evil is to just be racist. And given that this is for a Japanese audience, it's like a really lazy writing way to make somebody dislikable and bad right i think that's probably the best theory but the if the excuse is realism the fact that all these motherfuckers are carrying pipes around that have never had tobacco in them because you would find a knife blade if you were actually loading your pipe with tobacco and smoking it right um but uh, you the reason there's not smoking in this game michelle is because weed is bad and so smoking is bad and we just ryunosuke wouldn't support this you know (laughs) Well, yeah, you're you're right, Osaka PD. Yeah. I've never done anything illegal in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. All right. And as, as we know, Osaka PD, uh, people smoke weed out of Bell End pipes <laughs> in Victorian England. Uh, oh, my God. But you're probably right. I mean, like, ESRB ratings, international rating systems, The probably the reason no one smokes is because we would have to raise it to M for meanies if we smoke. I think so. I think it would be a rating problem and prob- and like I I think smoke is just notoriously hard to capture or animate, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just for film. I mean real smoke is given that we are also working our way through Yakuza, Yakuza 2 Kiwami has some really extremely good smoke effects and they all smoke cigarettes, but they're Yakuza, so that means they're cool. Yeah. And none of no one <laughs> they're not like they're not like Victorian gentlemen who are notoriously not cool. Then I'm going to chalk it up to rating, right? And that's why there's no blood in this uh, scene. Yeah, I, I think it's probably no blood, no smoke is rating. But then it just seems really farcical. Yeah. And so that, and like, I would say like the bones of the case is 
a girl, a husband and wife get into a fight, so heated that a fire breaks out, chucking things at him anyway. A young girl picks up a charred book and then gets impaled by a knife to do so. Is a pretty disappointing case when you shake it out, which is the theme of this game. Is this is yeah, and this is the plausible versus anime problem where which we figured out pretty quickly after doing plausible versus anime, which is that accident cases are just disappointing. Yeah, and I think for us, just the it's just we are we were so overwhelmed with the meanness of the racism and the sexism that like the case was very difficult to play through for these factors. Yeah. Um, once again. And even if I was like, okay, well, like, stop being such a sensitive American, Stephanie. What if you were just playing it, like, not thinking in through this lens? It, it was, I couldn't. I couldn't get past that. Uh, yeah, it was really hard for me to, like, sort of, like, run down. Is there anyone, let me ask this question. Is there any character in this case that you liked? Um, I liked talking to Iris. Oh, good. I liked John. He was fine. I also liked John Garadev. I don't know why. John Garadev was fine because this whole thing was he was an ex-soldier. But he was also and, like but he was, sweet to his but wife. But he got a participation trophy. <laughs> yeah, he got a participation trophy. He's got the old bum knee, but he still loves his wife, even he though she does love his burn wife. her every, she burns him every two minutes. Uh Except he also makes her work as a maid. Yeah, that's like a but in the weird status thing that they try to explain away. And I think she yeah. does it for him. I I mean I think she does it for him too. I also thought it was funny because the love note was like Jim and Mary. Yeah. And he's like, just in case you forgot, my name is John. Yeah, and she's like, mm-hmm. come up with a better excuse. <laughs> yeah, I thought you know I I just I mean I kind I didn't really like Joan, but they could have made her likable. Yeah. I did feel bad for them at the end. Yeah. But I didn't feel that bad for her because she did throw an open pocket knife at her husband. <laughs> right? Like, it had to have been open when she threw it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, she's throwing knives and shit at her husband. Like, I just, you know... I... But the fact that there's all these characters and the only one that I like is... John Garadeb is like sad is sad because most of the time in Ace Attorney I like most of them. Yeah, I I like them a good chunk or I appreciate them. I would say like this time around I liked a lot of the jury members. I liked the buff dock worker guy. Uh, he's not I a dock worker, him. um, but the, the 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 laborer guy. I liked um I I mean he was inoffensive, but like the bowl cut blonde guy was fine. Uh, I liked the old man. <laughs> I thought the old... I mean, I did... The jury was, like, not so bad, yeah. I The Victorian lady was kind of fun, because she kept saying she was, like, a modern, rational, you know, uh, woman or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was kind of fun, even if she was racist. Um, and, you know, Bruce Fairplay was fine. He was not... He was not being a beaver chief eating his cane. Yeah. Um, and the judges- But that's the sort of problem is, like, all of them were super racist. So you've got to say, like, I like them except for... <laughs> I like them except for this part. And, like, Von Zixen do anything different this case that made him, like, more or less likable. He kind of stayed status for me. Yeah. I I want to like Von Zeeks more. And it's probably just the racism. But, yeah, I want... If he leaned harder into being a vampire, that'd be cool. Or is she... Like, they keep calling him the Deathbringer, right? Or I... You know, I... 
Soseki accuses you of, Natsume accuses you of like, are you in cahoots with Von Zeke's? And you're like, no, I don't, you know, I don't um have friends with, you know, Deathbringers or whatever. And I know that the word they're using in Japanese is Shinigami, right? Right. Like, and the Shinigami is like the Japanese, the Cliff Notes is the, the Japanese version of the Grim Reaper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if he leaned harder into that, like, Shinigami life, I would be, like, so into it, but he instead leans harder into being racist. Yeah, and Von Zeke's has the other, like, dateable Otome vibe to him yeah. that I, I'm just, like, I feel like you're, you, and Aaron was like, is this, like, great-grandpappy Edgeworth? And I said, no, but that's basically, they got, they took Edgeworth and then they made him victorian and hotter and i can't stop thinking about it while i play um well let's talk about that that let's talk about pl versus aa for for that and i promise i won't get into spoilers for pl versus aa and i haven't played it as a reminder i never played that game right you haven't played it you just had the cliff notes of it Mm -hmm. but pl versus aa i think I'm beginning to appreciate more how well done it was in retrospect. Like living, like going through this game, the pacing of PL versus AA is better than I, it, maybe it's hindsight, but I, the pacing was good. I was never like, you know, you get a little bored in the puzzle parts of Layton, but I was never like super bored. I never felt directionless, which like this game, the investigation part specifically made you feel like you had no theory of the case you had no basically no evidence you had like a map of the street and you left being like well i have a defendant and rianosuke feels better about himself as a person and that's it and i like i felt like it was like and granted everything became relevant but i it felt like a waste of time to do investigation it felt like, but PL versus AA, Tony actually started playing it because he's never played it either. So he started playing it after we had a conversation. So I saw the start of PL versus AA again. And also the music in PL versus AA rips. It's, it's so good. And, and I had that feeling of when you play an A's attorney game and the music just hits good with that. And it made me really sad that the music in this game is not hitting me good. I don't know. It just, I just, I got hit once in this game with the music, and it was when I can't remember the things. I can't remember exactly when, but like it's, it is the main theme. But I was playing it on the TV, and I think it's just when you hear it in a more robust sound setting, like okay. you can appreciate it more. But it was kind of like one of those parts. I think I was talking to Herlock, and you were kind of like Ryunosuke trying to build himself and like figure himself out. But I guess my biggest complaint about the case, my second biggest complaint, I be, is is just there's no gameplay. <laughs> oh my god, there's no gameplay. There's there's no gameplay. I'm spending the whole time like I half the time can just hit autoplay because I'm just watching an anime. I actually almost rather this game was an anime I could watch. Stephanie, we spent an hour and a half trying to convince a bunch of people that the dude walked on a different down a different block and none of them even brought up the point that he could have walked on the other side of the street, which in actuality was the case. Yeah. Like I... no one they were like, there's no other path he could have possibly took, even though there's two sides to a street. 
And I was just so frustrated. I'm usually really bad at figuring out what, how the case, how an Ace Attorney case ends up. And I pinned the plot down well before it was over. I was waiting yeah. for so long just to be like, she bent over and was stabbed in the back. She bent over and was stabbed in the back. She picked up the book on fire and she was stabbed in the back. I figured this out while Raleigh first, sh- like the first testimony with Raleigh. If I had figured it out that long ago, I don't know what they thought. Like I was the joy I was supposed to get out of this case, I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was not, I don't think I, I pinned it all down that fast, as fast as you. Um, but I had pinned down that the, where the knife came from really fast. And so the, and we have to prove where the knife came from so many times. Yeah. That was like the big sticking point. And it's, we don't have fingerprinting, which they bring up is like going to be the new hot thing, but like, we're just lucky there was a tip of a blade and a pipe. Otherwise we would not have solved this case, you know? And we've already gone too long, so I don't want to talk about that, but I do want to talk about that. How the fuck, how the fuck did the tip of the blade get into the, into the pipe? Like, that means that the blade landed in the pipe and was still moving such that it, like, rotated and snapped off. I assume it, like, impaled the pipe, chipped it, hit it, broke, and then, like, flung backwards over out the window. I just, that you know, mechanically there's a lot yeah. going on. And I understand that they don't have fingerprints, but if you, if your limitation is so bad that we have to go through three extra hours of gameplay just because we can't fingerprint something, don't make a game about Victorian England. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just wish there was more for me to do as a player than sit and watch people talk at me, which is like, and then flashback and give spoon, I felt very spoon fed with all my answers. And that's, I think, the most disappointing thing for me as a player in in this game is that I remember getting really stuck in other Ace Attorney games of like, where do I go investigate next? They're like, well, better go back this way and do this thing. And like, they started doing that more back, like hit dual destinies is like saying like where you should go next. But like, I, why do I even push the button at this point? Yeah, it is not, it's not, they, it's too dumbed down i guess yeah it's too simplified and like decided to be a visual novel and less of an investigation kind of game and it was really i mean we gave them a lot of shit for we gave them so much shit for the puddle in spirit of justice right like yeah we gave them so much shit for the puddle we gave them a little bit of shit for widget um but those were to try and spice it up right right and it I don't think the puddle was spicy, but Widget, like, did shake up the pace of things a bit. Yeah, it, it added an intrigue, even though I think Widget was just poorly designed since it was Simon Says. Yeah, Widget could Widget could have been improved upon, but they, di- they didn't improve upon Widget. They just switched to, like, okay, what else can we do? How about a puddle? Yeah. I don't know. It's, I, it's weird. It's, I cannot pin it down. I cannot pin it um, down, but no one ever complained about the Magatama. <laughs> I like them. No, because, and the, here's here's why investigation feels so bad lately, I think. Is because while it was, while there was a lot of times with Phoenix in investigation in, in 1, 2, and 3, that we would get stuck. The fact that you had to break somebody's Cyclops was like, uh, it felt good. Yeah. 
when you did it, right? You would, not only did you find stuff that was useful to you, but then you did something with it and progressed in the investigation and it felt good. And that's why no one ever gave anybody shit for the Megatama is because Megatama actually like made you feel accomplished when you did something. Mm -hmm. And now that we don't have that in investigation, we literally like go to a place, get told no, you can't look at anything, leave place to a different place, get item, go back to place, say, can I please look at something now that I have item? And the answer is no, I will take item. I will instead tell you that you can go to new place. Yeah. And, or like you get Herlock and he's like, oh, now you have entry because he forced himself in. Um, Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, and the other option was in investigations with, with Miles Edgeworth, you know, you're playing logic chess, which like we give a lot of shit because it's logic chess for what it is. But like, take away the fact that it's like, ah, I'm playing chess with people's minds. You had to break people still. And it's satisfying. And it was timed, so it was stressful. So you had gameplay mechanic. And it's all been taken away from us. Yeah, I don't think this alone is the problem. The only problem, right? I don't think that alone is the only problem. Because the other part of it is like, this is not building to anything. Yeah. The cases that we're playing are not building to anything. And from what we hear from Kevin... This game doesn't build anything. The second game proceeds to have all of the resolution that this game does not have. Which is baffling to me that they got a second game. Truly wild. And I know we're going to bring Kevin on after we beat the first game of Gak and talk about just the first game of Gak uh, and like our feelings. But like, I don't know how the Japanese audience bought this game, enjoyed it enough to make it worthy of half of the pages in the 20th anniversary, everything, and earned a second game. Because the second game wasn't guaranteed when this game came out. Yeah, and that's the truly baffling thing to me. I mean, like, I guess the lucky part of us and what Kevin says that they're doing is they're treating, they purchased one game and it has all of it together, so they're treating it as one game instead of two games like we are. And maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. I guess everybody e- email us of whether we should be nicer to it and not treat it as two halves of a whole and just treat it as one whole of a whole. Yeah. But if one whole of a whole is extremely poorly paced in the first half, I'm still going to be mean. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to be the bad Bobby of this. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie can be good Bobby and I'll be bad Bobby. Yeah, I mean, and I... I... I hate that all we do is say, like, God, it's so racist, it hurts. But, like, as a person of, uh, a person who lives things like this, it doesn't, just because we keep saying it doesn't mean, because it's not going away and it's never going to go away, and it doesn't diminish its value. Diminish the value of the game or the racism? The racism. I'm sorry, sorry. It doesn't, like... The racism, just because we're like, we get it, it's racist, doesn't mean that that's not an active role in the entire game at every step of the way, because... And it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Yes, it hurts. Every time. Hurts every time. It doesn't, I'm, I'm a white person, so it doesn't hurt me as my identity. It hurts me nonetheless, I will say. I can't imagine being a Japanese person and, and playing this game. And I don't necessarily want to inflict that on anyone because I can imagine it would be extremely painful. Yeah. And I'd be like, why'd you recommend this game to me? Anyone. 
But anyway, um, we have some of your thoughts and ideas. We're going to probably come back to them a different time next time. Uh, just or when we do a wrap up, just because this went on for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. That's okay. Uh, but I do want to hear your thoughts and I do want to hear your feelings. And just let us know, like, if we are just seeing something differently than you guys are seeing or like you have context that we don't have. Um, but you can send those to objectthispodcast at gmail.com or to us on Tumblr at objectthis.tumblr.com. Uh, well, we, ha- we have our home here on the bean that we've grown on Podbean. Uh, thank you to Podbean. Uh, thank you to Dark Shadow Rage 2 off the YouTubes for the use of our theme song, Hey Pal, a Detective Gumshoe remix. Thanks, Michelle, for the stuff at the end. Whatever that is. Did we talk about Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts? No, but thanks for mentioning that. You can write and review us on Apple Podcasts. And we'd love to We'd love to have a little review. Uh, Girl Scout cookies are for sale right now, so remember about cheesy angles? Yeah, I never forget. Um, <laughs> you did this to yourself. You brought it up yourself. I did. I didn't. Uh, it's too early for Girl Scout cookies. What are you talking about? I got the email from your niece to buy cookies like a month ago. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, it's cookie season. It is. It's time for cookies. Time for cookies. And then, you know, we're going to hit you back next month. We're going to see if we're going to either do case five summation or if we're going to do a little bit of a little bit of rate and review. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we'll see what next month brings. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah. uh, I'm Stephanie. I'm Michelle. And I was object to this, so why don't you object to that? <laughs>